Hey everyone, David here. I'm going to get you to this week's episode of Close Reads in just a second. But first, I have to tell you about something that I am so excited about. It is a new story from the creator of the Million Plus Selling Green Ember series. It's a brand new story with an old soul. It's the can't miss first adventure in a thrilling new series. It's Jack, Zulu, and the Waylander's Key. An enchanting adventure in the tradition of Tolkien and Lewis, as well as Spielberg and Lucas. But this fantastical journey launches in rural West Virginia in the 80s with a half Appalachian, half African kid trying to escape the town he sees defining his small, sad life. Jack discovers a gate hiding a city between 12 realms and finds out where he truly belongs in a surprising and satisfying adventure. It's written by S.D. Smith, also known as Sam around here. He wrote this with his son, Josiah, so it's a true family operation. It's a really wonderful uh, story that they're telling just in telling stories together. My kids love it. We're reading it together. And uh, if your kids love the Green Ember series but are getting you know, a bit older, this is going to be perfect for you. The pre-order is going on now. It launched on October 4th, and the book officially releases on November 15th. On November 20th, we're doing a launch party here in Concord, North Carolina, which you can learn more about at goldberrybooks.com. If you want to get this book, you can head to jackzulu.com. That's J-A-C-K-Z-U-L-U.com. Be sure to sign up for his newsletter to get access to all of the great things that S.D. Smith is doing. Again, it's jackzulu.com. I hope you'll check this book out because it is truly worth adding to your family's library. This episode is also brought to you by Layered Reading, a six-week intensive from the Searcy Institute taught by Andrea Lipinski. This course runs from October 20th to December 1st, which means that it has already started, but you can still sign up. You'll get access to the recording of the first classes or any classes that you miss. And in this reading intensive, Andrea Lipinski will provide teachers and readers with tools that equip readers to think about, play with, and wrestle with any text. It begins with the recognition that reading is an act of communication, of listening, in which the most most important thing is to receive the idea that has been communicated by the writer. So this intensive helps readers master the skills that enable them to perceive the logos, in short, to become a master reader. Its ultimate goal is not to help students perform better on homework and tests, though probably would help with that, but to help readers experience the deep pleasures, riches, and comforts to be found in literature and to grow in wisdom and virtue. If you're interested in this, head to circeinstitute.org slash events to learn more. Again, that is circeinstitute.org slash events. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Classical U, where they have over 70 plus courses available via subscription, with several new courses being added in the coming months. Of course, one of those classes is from our guy, Tim McIntosh, who did a whole course on teaching Shakespeare. Classical U has given us two coupon codes just for our listeners. It's Classical U for close reads two months and Classical U for close reads one year. Those coupon codes are posted in the information on this episode. Classical U for close reads two months coupon code will provide no charge for the first two months with the purchase of a monthly subscription. And this is a total value of $39.90 as monthly subscriptions are regularly uh, $19.95 per month. Then the Classical U for close reads one year coupon code will provide 25% off, um, otherwise known as $53.86, for the first year with the purchase of an annual subscription. That's uh, normally $215.46, so you can get a whole year for $171.30. So again, that's $53.86 off. All their subscriptions come with 14-day free trials before the first payment is collected and during which the subscriber can cancel any time. If you want to learn more, check out the show notes here and also head over to classicalu.com. They have the very best in courses for educators and parents and students who are looking to expand their knowledge of literature, science, history, even Shakespeare. So if that's you or there's someone that you know who might qualify for those conditions, head over to Classical U, use one of those coupon codes in the show notes and uh, check out what they have going on there. Again, that's a, you can get a two-week free trial and you can check out a bunch of Tim's course and see if you think it's going to be right for you. So again, classicalu.com. Thanks to them for making this episode possible. Okay, with that, let's get you to this week's episode of Close Reads. Hey there, I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. And I'm Tim McIntosh. You're listening to Close Reads, a podcast for the incurable, curable, curable, and for the incurable reader uh, on uh, Heim Potox. My name is Asher Lev. We're discussing book two, aka chapters six through nine, and we're going to dig into that in just a second. But of course, it was just Thanksgiving. Just had Thanksgiving last week, so I think everyone's been pretty busy. So I, this is a good chance for us to to catch up. Heidi, how was your Thanksgiving? What's, what's been great. going on? Yeah, it was really good. If you want to hear more about it, you can become a Close Reads Substack 
um, <laughs> supporter subscriber. and subscriber. And you can go listen to this exact same conversation that we just That's had. That's true. Because Sean and I and you uh-huh. did have a conversation about when we when we recorded our first episode of Till We Have Faces earlier this week, right? So right, so you're not you're not even behind. Interesting conversations on this episode, and including Heidi getting annoyed with me for using the word annoying said a couple times, a lot of times in regards to C.S. Lewis. But then we figured out later on that I didn't mean it, it the way she thought that I meant our it. Terms. Yeah. Right, right. I wasn't saying so, C.S. Lewis is annoying. I was saying I think he might actively be trying to be annoying. You we had been talking about Till We Have Faces for years. And David kind of played this kind of intentional curmudgeon. Ah, till we have faces. Bah, humbug, whatever. Did you guys talk about that on the air, Heidi? Yeah, he's sticking to that. So he's I, I, playing that, the curmudgeon harsh. role. That is a harsh assessment. <laughs> so my favorite okay, so author what, annoying. So. One of my favorite authors, too. <laughs> so why, if he's one of your favorite authors, why do you find him so annoying, David? Okay. If you want to <laughs> you know listen more to the about episode, this, you may become a Please go to the Substack. <laughs> <laughs> no, so again, I wasn't saying that he is annoying. I was saying that there is something that I think he might be doing in that book that is ho- holding the reader a little bit at arm's length. I think he is in some ways trying to annoy the reader and you have to kind of reconcile some of the things that he's trying to do. Actually, but I right used the that. word annoying and Heidi took it personally. I did Let's not be honest, take she took it, it personally. Little... <laughs> I just disagreed vehemently. Actually, Until I didn't. I only just yeah. said I'd... I was a little bit passive aggressive about it. I, a little, a little. Yeah. She was a lot passive aggressive about it. But you got to listen to find out more. Yep. Uh, Tim, how was your Thanksgiving? I know that you know one of the reasons we had the episode canceled last week was you guys had a death in your family, and I just wanted to publicly say we're you know thinking about you guys, praying for you guys. And- Thank you. Yeah. Um, Galen's dad, Philip Hurd, uh, died last Wednesday. And it was, it was kind of expected. He was a type one diabetic. He got diagnosed pretty late in his life. Like I think, gosh, in his late forties. And, um, it was just taking a toll on his body. Diabetes is terrible. It's terrible because they've made so many advances in its treatment. You kind of lose track of how devastating it is. Anyway, Philip, fought it for a really long time, but he just finally, he just had enough. It was just taking a toll. So, I mean, the good thing was that Galen got to be with them almost like every minute of every day for the last two weeks. And they had a real special relationship. So it's very sad, but his body was ready to be done. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, all things. So our Thanksgiving was kind of a, um, you know, a lot of memories about him kind of combined with Thanksgiving with uh, Philip's extended family. Mm. Well, give our best to Yeah, to thank you. Um, thank you. Another, I'm sure you've heard from a variety of people in the Close Reads community who care about you and are thinking about you. Um, okay, so we are here to discuss uh, My Name is Asher Lev, um, book two. I wanted to do a quick summary here, at least of some of the the high points of this chapter, the main plot points, because it's been a couple of weeks. So it's probably a good refresher here. It, I'm going to work backwards a little bit here and you all can, can jump in, but I'm not going to do like a really comprehensive summary here, but it ends with, and correct me if I'm wrong, Asher's mom leaving. It ends with her going to visit, uh, well, to go live with his dad in, in Vienna to help him with his work, she tells him, she tells Asher, he needs me now. You've had me, you know, you've, I've given you what you needed. And now, you know, you need to be, you need to let me go. Um, some really melancholy conversations, if not heartbreaking conversations between them. Before that though, Asher began his tutorial as an artist. He works with uh, Jacob Kahn, who is this great artist uh, based on a real person, a real sculptor, and uh, t- you know goes through a variety of lessons and different trials and things like that that Jacob Kahn puts him through, much to the chagrin of his parents, particularly his father. Yet this is happening because the Rebbe has asked Jacob Kahn, who 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 he trusts, to take Asher under his wing. They, the his community doesn't understand 
what it's all about. Like, why does why does art why does art matter? It's if any if not if, at best it's dangerous, you know, if not worthless. And so there's a you know that's where some of the conflict comes in in this section is he's finally being given the respect that he's craved for his talents and his gifts and his and his work, but is in direct contrast in direct conflict even with um his his community and his people and his family uh, especially is there anything else that we need to say and, and by way of summary I'm, we can dig into some of these chapters but is that about no i think that was good covers it yeah tim is there a um you know when when we were discussing what to do about last week's episode you yeah. said you know you guys can go ahead and just go on without me yeah and that was that didn't that didn't feel right because of how much you love this book. And I think in particular, you had expressed at one point how much you particularly value or appreciate these, these chapters. Yeah. What about this section in particular is meaningful to you? It seems like in a lot of ways, this, this section is opening up the book to some new themes and some new ideas and new characters. And is mm-hmm. a bit of a transition. Is it just that, or is there something more? I think it's, I think there's more. That's a lot of it. I mean, I think we've talked in the past about um, the middle of a book is oftentimes like a real pivot mm-hmm. in the life of the main character. Like almost, like, like I think I've talked to you guys about in the gospel of Mark, if you find the exact middle point in Mark, it's the point where Jesus, um, where Jesus' disciples recognize he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and Peter says so. And immediately after that, Peter gets in huge trouble by saying, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and die. It's an absolute pivot because now Jesus, the Messiah, is going to fulfill his um, destiny, what he came to earth to do. So I think that this is a similar similarly structured story. So much great literature is structured around a midpoint pivot in which um, the major character goes. Oftentimes it's going from, I understand something that I did not understand in the past. And now I understand. And now I am choosing, I'm taking action based on my new understanding. And I think this is that point for Asher. I think for Asher, he is now put in a position where he recognizes, okay, I have this gift and it's not just a psychological malady. It's something that was given to me by someone. And there's someone now that I can learn from in this new way. And so for me, the introduction of Jacob Kahn is the major pivot in the book. And this is a question that I wanted to ask you guys. When Asher goes into his studio and starts to work, did you guys notice the atmosphere change? Did it feel like color got introduced into the book? And I, I did not do an empirical study by any means. I don't know if this is just kind of like, oh, it just feels so different. Or did Chaim Potok actually start introducing colors in his descriptions? Because now we're out of Brooklyn. We're out of Asher's street. And, we're, and more specifically, we're out of his house, which has been so dark. I mean, so heavy. And his family is battling like terrible, terrible things, both internally and externally. And now in Jacob Kahn's studio, there's almost a kind of, it's very serious. Jacob Kahn is a serious artist. Yeah. But there's a kind of frivol- frivolity there or an, or an openness to experience that we've not seen yet in the book. We've not experienced as part of Asher Lev's environment. I really love that, Tim. That's so, that's right. Like there's a, I, I didn't experience it consciously yeah. until you named it right there. But yes, there's this shift in, in my internal visualization of what's going on in the novel that is a shift from dark to light mm. and almost from like solid to fluid. 
So yeah. there's this solidity to his home in Brooklyn and the the furniture and like there's like this in my imagination, it's square and thick. I, and and dark That's and exactly shaded. Oh, I see it too. And then in it's winter in Brooklyn. Yes. And then yeah. once he goes, once he starts working, there's this like fluidity and movement and air and space uh, and color. Uh, and it goes, it, it, there's a huge shift. And But I didn't name that like you mm, did. I so, really, I'm so grateful you said that. It's interesting. Like he says, Jacob says, um, when he comes to the, when Asher goes to his apartment for the first time and Anna's there, he says, to the future, he's, and he says it solemnly, to the beginning of good things, we are assembled to celebrate our glory, if I may paraphrase Apollinaire, and it is not polite to stare. And she's looking at his his curls. Yeah. yeah. And I love that because he's very solemnly saying, to the beginning of good things, and it's at like page 207 of, of a 380 page, you know, it's kind of, it's this crucial scene where he's toasting the beginning of good things when... Asher has been dealing with all this hard stuff. And it, it does feel like not just Jacob saying to the beginning of good things in terms of him making art, but the book is telling us, you know, it's not telling us that everything here is going to be easy, but if but that there's some good things that are going to happen. And then on the next page, if you go to 208, I don't know what edition you all have. I just think this, this is actually worth reading because it's right in line with what Tim is saying. Do you have this one, Tim? The one, this, the, uh, I've got a different cover, but I think it's the same pagination. So for me, book three begins on page 250 or 249. Is that okay? Great. Great. So go to 208. Okay. I think it's the first time that he's gone to the studio. And and interestingly, on on 210, there's a description of his apartment. And to your point, Heidi, it was an enormous room, right? It's Mm -hmm. talking about how cavernous it is. But the light and dark thing is directly mentioned here on 208. So she says, you could bring me a drink. I don't, do you see that yeah. first full paragraph there? She turned to him and said something in French. He laughed, stepped carefully between two huge canvases and disappeared. She turned back to me slowly and smiled. Come over here. With, come over here with me, Asherlev. Let us stand where there is more light. I, so, he, so Jacob right? goes between the canvases and they step into the light. I followed behind her, treading carefully between the sculptures and easels and canvases and work tables that were the heavy traffic of that room. We stood near a wall of windows. The sky, filled with clouds that gave off gray light, seemed to border upon the windows. Beyond low rooftops and trees and a strip of highway, I could see the dark waters of the Hudson and the New Jersey shoreline. Let me look at you in the light, she said. I saw her pale blue eyes, sorry, I saw her blue eyes move across me. You have Chagall's pale face. Do you suffer fainting spells? No. I asked Jacob which of the three he thought you might be, might become. The three? Modliani, Sautine, and Pasheen. I don't know how to pronounce any of these names. Pasheen's name was originally Pincus. Have you heard of those three? They were Jews. I've seen some of their paintings. They were dedicated people. You've not been beaten. You've not been beaten for drawing, have you? No. Sautine was severely beaten when he was young. When he was your age, I believe. You were 13? Yes. He was quite severely beaten. Orthodox Jews do not much care for painting, I understand. You are what is called a Hasid? I nodded. So then they go on and talk about that. But but the introduction of light is, you know, very yeah. directly alluded to here. And they have to step into the light to to be seen. So how do you think, like, what is... Well, Heidi, what were you going to say? Go ahead. I, you can jump on here. No, I just think that this whole conversation is like you said kind of like bathed in light in a very metaphorical sense as well as obviously a directly physical sense um and and yet there's also words like on page 209 um about like a barge moves slowly across the dark surface of the water and so that some of the descriptions still have words like heavy and dark but it's there still feels bathed in light and i think it's because we instinctively as readers create that contrast. It's almost like he's creating a painting with the description, right? Like these are the lines, like the heavy barge moving slowly. It's dark, but then it's against a wall of windows. And so we're forced to like paint inside our heads. Like he's about to build a frame. Yes, exactly. Like just as he's about to be freed to paint on a canvas. 
so there's this mirroring between the form and the content, which is really lovely. And I hadn't picked up on it consciously till Tim, till the two of you pointed it out. I was just experiencing it. Yeah. 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 I think part of it also is um, the prelude to the scene that we, that David just read is this conversation between Anna and Jacob Kahn in which I might be mistaken, but Anna, the way that she talks to Jacob Kahn Again, I might be wrong. I think might be the only ironic speech that we have heard yet in the book. Mm. I, I, maybe not ironic, maybe maybe sarcastic. True. Yeah. Anybody saying something they actually don't mean. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone's very All earnest of, in the community. Everybody is so yeah. earnest. And it's like, you respect that about Asher's, like, the family that he comes from. It's so earnest. And they are fighting a terrific fight. They're fighting like the embers of Stalinism, right? Of course, you're going to speak directly and pointedly with, you know, your meaning is going to be on the surface. But now, Anna, I'm going to read this from 207. Um, Anna, Jacob Kahn said softly, he removed the cigarette from his mouth and flicked ashes onto the bare wooden floor. You did not tell me, the woman said to him her eyes still on my side curls. You are a tricky old man. Are you upset with me that I did not tell you? Yes, I am upset. You are tricky and nasty. And then the side, then uh, Potok writes, she did not sound upset. <laughs> you know, so it's clearly she's teasing Jacob in some way. And I think that is part of what's going on in this scene is mm. that for the first time we are hearing something other than direct, meaningful, um, surface speech about the world, the Jewish world that Asher li- lives in. Yeah. You know, there's a lightness, a, a sense of humor to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's teasing. Okay. It's playful. So, let me ask you, let me ask you this then. We have the, the tradition, the people that he comes from have been very serious about their tradition in a way that almost seems oppressive then we get some light introduced in the world of these artists who respect the tradition but don't understand it don't mm-hmm. understand why people are so committed to it they have their own priorities and those their aesthetic and we get you know this image of you know on two, what 209 what Heidi just mentioned she looked at me intently then she looked out the window her eyes narrow in the gray light a barge moved slowly across the dark surface of the water are you very religious? She asked quietly, still looking out the window. So there's an equation An equation here. Is that the word that I want to use? <laughs> he is equating like the barge moving across the dark surface of the water with this question about religion. She's contemplatively looking out and there's this, and there's this oppressive image on the water, something slow moving. Then she asks about religion. Yet this book is written by Haim Potok, who is part of that tradition. Mm. So... The book seems to be introducing some dissonances in terms of, well, okay, it's probably already introduced it a little bit, but in terms of how we're supposed to feel about the conflict of art versus religion about this faith. Is the book, does the book to you seem to now be saying that this tradition is oppressive and mm. that it's 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 a negative thing and that the aesthetic life is is better. Like by introducing this contrast, it's introducing to us that sort of dissonance that, that we have to ask those kind of questions if it hasn't already given us a direct claim about them. I, that's something I've been re- reading this section. I was trying to figure it out. I mean, especially the parts with, um, where he's dry. With Anna like, with Jacob. Yeah. With Jacob where he's, yeah. even when he's doing the court, he's doing the classes and he's, they ask him to, to do the, um, figure studies with the nudes. And he's trying to figure out, like, am I, like, is this defiling me? Yeah. (laughs) Am I, is this, am I blaspheming or uh, completely betraying my people and my religion by doing this? And so there's the conflict is being introduced here and he's Mm -hmm. feeling like he doesn't know what's right and wrong. And so do you think that the book is trying to suggest that one is better than the other? I don't, I don't think so. I think that, um, I think we're well, like you said a couple of minutes ago, David, I think we're well down the road of 
wrestling with the conflict between sure. art and faith, like very, very deeply down that road. And by the time he has this freedom, I think the reason that we're not supposed to, to cast his Orthodox Judaism as the villain of the story is because of the rabbi, because he is the one who gives him the freedom to pursue his art. And, um, mm. and, and also because of his great love for his parents and the fact that he maintains his, uh, he doesn't seem to want to be free from Judaism. There's mm. an, it, Asher doesn't seem to question his faith. What he questions and des, what he desires is the freedom to pursue this gift, even though the gift is it, itself oppressive to him. Both those things are oppressive to him. And, and that's the conflict of the story. I think that to your point though, um, or to your, you know, to the, the underlying question really is that much like in Brideshead Revisited, Catholicism could be cast as either the savior or the villain. That's the same thing in this story. Even though in Brideshead Revisited, we have a Catholic author, an observant Catholic author who's writing a Catholic novel. And here we have an observant Jewish author writing a Jewish novel, wrestling with the limits that are imposed by the faith and the tradition onto what feels like human freedom. And I think the question really becomes, what is then human freedom? Mm. And 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 how does that correspond with faith? Here the conflict is between art and faith and this child's caught in the middle. But both of those things become oppressive to him. His art is just as oppressive to him and and just as limiting to him. And and so this this boy is in what feels to him like an impossible situation. And we're wrestling with that as the reader on his behalf. Hmm. <laughs> So yeah, the dissonance has been there, but what I, what strikes me is that when Khan gets introduced, it stops being about him feeling guilty for doing the art. Right. And it starts being about, he now has a model that it shows that the art is an active good, not something to feel guilty about. And so here, like there's a, I think that's a, I think that's a thematic shift that happens by introducing Khan because he's had the rabbi, he's had his father, he's had these figures who have modeled how to be Jewish how to live, participate in that tradition. But the art has always felt like something that was, you know, it was within him, but it was bad. Now he has someone who's telling him it's good. I agree. And I'm only going to say one quick thing about that. The other side of that is that it may, it still remains complicated because Jacob Kahn is not observant and he's part of the outside world. He's, he has, he's, he's now left according to his family and his parents still don't like it. Right. And, and we see him create art that's less and less Jewish, which is a bit in defiance of what the rabbi asked of him. And so it still remains very complicated and, and the freedom comes to me. I do feel exactly what Tim said. The freedom comes in his being, I'm so glad he's able to make this art, but then I'm a Christian. And so I don't, necessarily relate to the limitation imposed by Judaism. And I don't know how a Jewish reader would encounter that, whether they'd encounter that as freedom the same way I do. Right. And so it just stays really complicated, which I love. But the book is implying that it's a freedom by putting, by the minute he goes into this room, it's large. The room is big. It's open. It's, it's freeing. It's not oppressive. True. And like the images itself tell us what the book thinks about it. I think Tim, what do you go ahead? Jump in. You've been, I've got I've got so many thoughts. Um, I'm not sure where to begin. <laughs> I I I read this book as um, I'm not going to say anything new here. It's kind of what Heidi just said. As one boy caught between two two traditions, his Jewish tradition and the tradition of European art. In fact, let me read a little paragraph because i think yeah. jacob khan says it like very forcefully and bluntly what page uh this is on page 213 middle of the page asher lev painting like the the artistic tradition is a tradition of goyim and pagans its values are goyish and pagan 
Its concepts are Goyish and pagan. Its way of life is Goyish and pagan. In the history of enti- in the entire history of European art, there has not been a single religious Jew who is a great painter. Think carefully of what you are doing before you make your decision. I say this not only for the Rebbe, but for myself as well. I do not want to spend time with you, Asher Lev, and then have you tell me you made a mistake. Do you understand? I think, like, the way that I think about Asher Lev, it's almost like he is an immigrant in a new country. He has left his old... Well, he's he's deciding whether or not he's going to leave his old country his old country's ways behind. And right now at this point in the book, he doesn't know the answer. And Jacob Kahn is like trying to get him to like make a decision, you know, but I don't know that we, by this point in the book, know what Asher Lev is going to choose. Um, So the thing that complicates it is that the Jewish community for Asher Lev is not just an ethnic cultural community. It's also a devout religious community at the same time. And I think that that's what, as, as Christians, that makes this discussion really kind of like vibrant and electric because we're like, wait, we are, I mean, I, I at least I identify with the kind of like religious underpinnings of the Jewish community, even though it's different than mine. Um, and it does feel like this alternative tradition, the Western European artistic tradition, feels like an infiltrating force that is in, endangering mm. my, not just my community, not just my ethnic background, but my deepest held beliefs. That's what right now feels like the real crisis of the book is. That's mm. how I see it. I totally agree with that. I think that's right. Or that's how I read it. Yeah. yeah I th- well, I was just going to say, I, I think that the interesting thing about Khan is that when he, in this section here, in that paragraph you just read, he creates a construct that we have to decide whether the book agrees with him or whether we the book is ultimately mm. concluding that he is setting up a false dichotomy. Mm. Because he's essentially saying, you have to choose what you're going to do here. Are you going to be a great artist or are you going to be a like a devout Jew. And if you're going to try to do both, don't waste my time at it. Right. And so he's, so now we have to decide one of the things that I started thinking about is, wow, what does my gut want him to decide? Does my yeah. gut want yeah. him to abandon the tradition right. and go with Jacob? Or does it want me to, to Absolutely. say, no, dude, you've got to go back to the family. You've got to. And, they, and so that is such a, like the, that moment is there's like a kick in your gut type of oh, moment yeah. if you're yes. reading closely. Yes. And so the question now is, is Jacob right and we have to follow him or has he creating a false dichotomy that the book disagrees with right. and that Jacob, I mean, that now Asher mm-hmm. has to live through, like live his way out of. Mm-hmm. I, I find this like so subtle and good job by Kaim Potok. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. The stakes like I do think couldn't the book, be higher. I do think the book answers it, but not in a way, or at least... I do. Th- I do think the book takes the stand on this question that you're raising, which is already. I think the no. What I'm about to oh, say, okay. I think, but not until the last pages. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I can't. I don't know that I could answer it, but I think you're exactly asking the right question. I think you're asking the question of the book. I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. I, I want to. Can I? Can we go back just a couple pages to this question that David read from Anna? Um, when she turns to Asher and says, are you very religious? And he doesn't know how to answer. I mean, think about what that question must have sounded exactly. like to Asher. Because I think yeah. as modern Americans, even though like we have our complaints against modern America, when we think religion, we think private volitional choice, private volitional assent, you know, like I choose this belief. This is the code that I'm going to live by. That's not how Asher Lev thinks about it. 
Ash, it's like, for me, I think this question would sound something like to um, a Serbian refugee who just, you know, arrived in the United States, someone saying, hey, how Serbian are you? We are like, what does that question even mean? How Serbian are you? Like, how religious are you, Asherlev? Everything in his life is embedded in this community. Everything in his life. There is not like, I'm more religious or less religious. It's like, this is like part and parcel of his entire being. Mm-hmm. He's not just making an individual volitional choice. That's, that's not how he got to where he is. He was born into a family that's part of a neighborhood, that's part of a movement, that's part of a people. And so, of course, he can't answer that question. It's a kind of a, it's almost a nonsense question. I'm not trying to you like say, oh, Anna, she just doesn't get it. I think it's a, a totally reasonable question from Anna, but I think from Asher's point of view, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, and he even says, she, he says, I'm an observant Jew. And she says, well, what does that mean specifically? And he says, I didn't know what to say. Right. He doesn't know what to say. It's, it's like, like uh, everything. It means everything. I, I, and they just kind of like stare at each other for a moment. And then she has yeah. to jump in because he's like asking a fish, what is water like? What is yeah, it yeah. like to be wet? I, he has no idea what it's like to be wet because he's only ever been wet. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then she even tells him at the end of this, this bottom of this page, you're entering the wrong world, dude. And he's quiet again. Well, and then she makes a statement that is profoundly important, I think, for understanding her, for understanding how they define the world of art from within, right? Mm. When he says, do you understand me, Asher Lev, if you want to make the world holy, stay in Brooklyn. Art is not for people who want to make the world holy. Mm. And that's their contention. That's the underlying assumption, fundamental assumption that they're making about art. And and that yeah. is in many Jacob ways. Jacob and, and Anna. Yes, that's the dividing line. I think that the book is exploring on the art side and the religion side. Well, but that's so interesting because you could argue that his father also says that though. That's if what you I'm want to saying. Make the world whole, on yeah. the art like, side and the religion side. Okay, they agree. That's their common ground. Yes, and Asher yeah, 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 okay. is, and and Asher is he's stuck in the middle, and we have yet to know whether it's going to break him or whether he's going mm. to unify them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, this was a great episode. I think we should <laughs> okay. See you guys later. <laughs> I, I I want to read the last of that the the um end of that section that we were talking about. Uh, it's Anna speaking, bottom of 209. Asher Lev, this world will destroy you. Art is not for people who would make the world holy. You will be like a nun in a in a theater for burlesque. She wanted to say brothel, but she kind of caught herself. That's a funny moment. Do you understand moment. me, Asher? It is a funny moment. Do you understand me, Asher Lev? If you want to make the world holy, stay in Brooklyn. I did not respond. There was a long silence. Yeah, he just doesn't know... I think everything that Anna and Jacob are saying to him is true. And I think it's insightful, David, that like, it's the basically the same thing his dad's been saying. Everybody knows the score. Everybody knows the score. Now, what is Asher going to do? And nobody seems to accept the rabbi. The rabbi believes that he could be a mediator, right? And that is the, he's the only one. And Asher himself is too young to know what is being asked of him. He knows he's stuck yeah. in the middle of competing forces, but he's not thinking about that. He's just experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And and it's only the rabbi, not even his teacher at this point. His teacher is yet another father. It's this. And is, the rabbi this can't is, tell him though. This is like this is like Henry the Fourth. This is this is two competing father figures, right? You've got mm-hmm. the king on one hand and Falstaff on the other, and they're both telling Prince Hal who he is going to be. And Prince Hal has to become the only way for him to survive this tension and for it not to rip him apart is for him to become some kind of mediator between them or a wholly new boundary crossing type figure. And that's mm-hmm. the position that this child is in and doesn't know that. And the book hasn't answered the question of what's going to come from that. But you're exactly right. They're both saying, you cannot do this. The only one who believes that he might be able to, and it's a slim chance, is the rabbi. So Heidi, you think that the the rabbi 
wants, he thinks that there's the, by, by introducing Jacob Kahn as this mentor, artistic mentor, that there might be a way that Asher becomes kind of a mediator, that these two worlds can connect in some way, maybe through his art or at least in his own person. Um, do you think there's a way of reading the book where you see the rabbi is actually not trying to get Asher to be a mediating figure, but to kind of save him from that world by pre- providing a sort of outlet for the gift? Sure. Yeah. I think that that's, I it's think possible. that's that, I mean, I think that fits the text. Yeah. I just, I think the rabbi's vision is bigger than that, but yeah, okay. I think that that's a, definitely a, a interpretation that's supported yeah. by that story. Yeah. So can I, I mentioned earlier his, the, the courses that he says he, He's, well, he's drawn the nudes and he feels like he's feels, I think he uses the phrase vaguely unclean, but he also applies that to studying Guernica and all these other paintings and Picasso and, you know, all these artists that his people would reject out of hand. So how does all of that fit into this conversation? Do you think these courses that he's like, do you think that the book is, is in agreement with Jacob Kahn, when he explains to Asher why in order to be a great artist, you have to be able to see the human form and and paint it. And that's why we're going to spend all this time drawing and painting nudes. And we're going to look at all these paintings that are violent and, and crazy and seem to be formless and all that kind of stuff. How does that play into this dissonance or this seeming conflict because if Jacob Kahn is this one who's saying you have to choose and yet he's then how do we how do we interpret when Jacob Kahn offers a kind of wisdom? Like in this case it's in a, it's the sort of about aesthetics and the Tim, nature I'm of art. Let and... You take this first. <laughs> no, I I yeah. Just because I keep talking over you. So No, you don't know. I haven't felt that at all. I I was a little bit upset with Jacob Kahn. I mean, Asher is still a young man. And this just seems like a sort of like, pardon the pun, a full frontal assault on <laughs> Asher. <laughs> like on his senses? Like he's just sort of yeah, like... Yeah. I was on mute or you would have heard my guffawing laughter. Because you, you, you just try to throw him in and see how he responds? Yeah. and I, I, He's trying I, to desensitize him, right? To like I think have he's him push desens- through the lust. I See, I think it's like partly a test... I think it's less about lust because there's like hardly any mention of like, you know, Asher, like, like I think any boy would be aroused in that situation. The book doesn't even touch it. Right. For the book, it's all about clean, unclean. And like right, unclean is to choose the it, European tradition. It sort of tradition. touches on it, but not like. But it doesn't dwell on it. It talks about like, say. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I was a little bit bothered by Jacob because I just thought, man, I don't, this is like, this is aggressive. This is really aggressive. But I think for Jacob, I wonder if kind of like in the back of his head, he's like, you know, I, I'm not sure that Asher is going to choose the tradition. I'm not sure that all of this investment in him is going to actually pay off. You know what? Let's find out. Let's bring in a nude model. That's one way to really see kind of like then- where his where his allegiance is leaning. And then when he sees that Asher is kind of like reluctant or feeling guilty or something, he basically is like, you don't look so sad. Uh, you, um, you only made pictures, some beautiful, some pictures of a beautiful girl. Maybe, maybe, you know, Yeshiva boys and should not be artists. And he said, like, just go home. Just get out of my sight. Yeah. He's like pressing on him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was. So how do you feel about that? Heidi? I do you agree. I don't know. I mean, I I find myself so reluctant to take sides in this book because it's so complicated. Mm. And and it presents it is like Shakespearean in that. It presents point counterpoint, point counterpoint. This side, this side. This side's whole in itself, this side's whole in itself. Never the twain shall meet and yet they have to meet in Asher. And yeah. and that is I mean, I I guess I'd have to say if, you know, gun to my head, 
this is written by an Orthodox Jew, right? And so it, in, out of respect for the book and for the author, and I think for the content of the book itself, like there's, there's no denial of the Jewish tradition within this book. And so I can't cast it as the villain, right? But there's also, I also don't know that I believe that older men should force 13-year-old boys to draw naked women, right? Like, so that, but I can't cast that as the villain either because it makes him a better artist, which was the whole point. And so I, I just find myself continually reluctant to like, take a stand or draw a line because the book is so complex and I want to leave it complex. And one of the things it points out it is that hard. like, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, it talks about Michael, you know, was the statue of David and it talks about how to be a great artist, you have to be able to, you know, he, like Jacob Kahn's not wrong on some of his, right, exactly. his theses yeah. about how one becomes a great artist and how so many of the great works of art ever involve whether it's like the statue of David or something by Rodin or, you know, the, the Venus painting or whatever it is. That's Botticelli, right? Yes. Um, yeah. It involves the nude human form. And so he's not wrong about that. And maybe what he's trying to do is he's trying to say in order to, to know, to be able to make the decision that I'm asking you to make, you have to be able to figure out if there's a way right. to reconcile the, the tradition of, 2,000, 3,000 years of artistic tradition with the faith that you've been given. Right. And so the pressing there is like, yes, it makes him better artist, but it also, he has to make choices. Mm-hmm. And he, and yeah, it, 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 you're right, Heidi. It's like hard to decide. It, it, he's not wrong, but also it's kind of wrong. <laughs> I don't think Jacob is the hero. I think that Jacob pushes him too far just as his father pushed him too far. Hmm. I don't see him as a savior figure. I think him as just, I see him as just as complicating to Asher's life as his father. Um, and both of them love him and want to do good by him. And it's complicated. So does Anna in this, this sort of setup, fill, is she the fill-in for, the, for his yeah, mother? Yeah, she becomes a, like a birth giver to his career as an artist, right? Like she's hmm. the one who can give him that. But it's, yeah, it's, it's just so good. I just love this book. It's so good. It's so good. Is there anything? Go ahead. Can I offer, um, a little, I guess maybe a warning is the right word. There was a little bit of talk on the Facebook page about that was critical of the artistic tradition. You know, it's very individualistic it's, you know, given over to excess. And those things are true. But I think this book is asking you to still consider the Western artistic tradition as a tradition with its own inherent goods, just as the Hasidic tradition in this book also is a tradition that has its own inherent internal goods. Both of them have problems. Both of them have excesses. Both of them have strengths. Both of them. And I, but I think if you are, if you take a kind of um, cynical view or a skeptical view of the Western artistic tradition, and you put it on top of this book, you might not be letting the book do its work. Because the books clearly seems to say, it clearly seems to recognize, yeah, the artistic tradition has problems. Of course it does. The Jew, but I think the Kambotok is saying, yes, and the Jewish community has got like internal problems. Like Asher might feel suffocated, right? They're like, we can acknowledge. I think he acknowledges both the strengths and the weaknesses of each. And I think as readers, we have to be careful to not say, yeah, but that Western artistic tradition, we know it's bad because that's not letting the book do its work. Hmm. I agree with that completely. Yes. And the thing is that, you know, if you've only read this far, I think you're still trying to figure out what work the book is trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Heidi and I, and maybe you also, David, are kind of saying like, the work is, 
it's what is Asher going to decide? Right. You know, and, it's, and it's a choice of massive Will he become a goy, right? Like, yeah, is he yeah, going to yeah. leave? Um, or, and right here in the middle, yeah. it's setting up. We, you know, in the moment, that's why in the moment, my gut was, I had one feeling about what I wanted him to choose. Right. And then immediately I was like, wait, so was that the right choice? What do mm-hmm. I, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you have your, your gut response that the book is drawing out of you. And then you, you have your stop and think about it response that the, your, the book is drawing out of you. And then you go back and forth on those. And that's like the nature of a great conflict in a book. Yes. Yeah. You know, so um, it's like when you're trying to decide whether you want Romeo and Juliet to actually be together. <laughs> No, it's not like that. You do no, want them to not, be together. Come on. Not, wait, what did you say? I said, and it's not like that because you do want them to be together. Well, you know, two families and such. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Wait, what was the... My Facebook access is all screwed up. What were the comments on Facebook about the artistic tradition? Would you like to, throw, would you like to specifically read people's quotes and name them? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, just, I think a few people had... Um, had some complaints about modern art and you know like i might or might not oh uh, okay so like the last hundred years of of painting and And see kind of jacob khan is just a corrupting influence like taking away stripping away his family morals and values and kind of taking him away from well yeah he is uh, yeah yeah but also yeah like he is taking him away like he's asking him he's telling him i want you to make a choice and you can go back or you can come with me but the book itself, as to your point of it, what work is it doing, is not making it that cut and dry. Because right. it is the book is telling us, as we said earlier, that this is freedom. That there is a freeing aspect to his soul. That yes. it is light when he has been burdened. And so by creating that, that dissonance, by giving him a hope, but also doubt, it's, it's creating the drama of the book that we get to work through. Like that's... Like that's mm-hmm. the point of a book. That's the yeah. point of a conflict. Yeah. Right. But I, I feel a bit of sympathy for that because in reading a book like this, now I find myself relating to the parents just as much to the child mm. as in, in reading a and thinking, what would this be like yeah, for me? Absolutely. Like try which is what I was trying to say in our first episode. What would this be like for me? I have carefully raised my children in a tradition. Mm-hmm. and 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 made life choices that if they yeah. were to leave would wound me cruelly that I don't know that I could recover and I or, or could only recover by grace and mercy right like that that is a fear I have mm-hmm. I share the fear and so um, and lack the faith and confidence that I should have. And so I think relating to that makes it even more poignant when you think about like, what if my, and even, even I have a 16, what if even my 16 year old son, three years older, I have a 13 year old daughter. Would I put her on the subway to go across town right. to study with, with, to study art with somebody that I know is going to make her look at naked people? Like I would be, I, and I love, and yeah. I believe in art. I'm yeah. a huge, huge proponent of art. And so I think that that is just as poignant for me as a reader than relating to Asher in, yeah. in these moments. And that goes back to, for me, that, that moment where you, have, you are almost asked to choose what you're rooting for. Right. Because my gut response was, just my initial gut response was, oh, this is your like, happiness. If you, like, you're an artist, go be an artist. And then within half a second, you're like, wait, no, uh, I don't know if yeah. I, I don't know if I actually want you to do that. But keep the totally. faith. But keep the yeah. faith. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so yeah. by by making you choose, then you are looking for the middle way. And yeah. so then the book is about that. That, that, that can possible? he be the unifier? Is the middle way possible? But you can't have the question: Is the middle way possible without creating the sides? And both of the, those sides are sympathetic, and they're you have sympathy for both of them. And they're like, I have so much sympathy for his mother and his father. I think they're so oh, well man. drawn characters. Oh yeah, even the father who's in his absence is is being developed, um, and his exhaustion, his tiredness, his his which is the same thing as exhaustion. His his like mission oriented approach and the goodness to his work. of the mission. The mission right. is so good, right. and his helplessness. Like yeah. even when he grabs Asher by the wrist and. And just like, I, I felt in him this like yearning, this like helplessness, this feeling of like having no voice in the life of the person you love the most. Yeah. That's oh my gosh. Deep. Like that's pain. And that, 
and and just the book paints that so well on both sides. Hmm. Hmm. Tim, we should wrap this up here. Do you um do you have anything that that you think needs to get said before we go for this week before we get move on from from books? We haven't talked about how his mother goes off to Vienna, Vienna yet right. at the end of the section. Right. Yeah, that's a major that's a major change. Like his one remaining parent and his like nurturing maternal parent is now gone and he is now being kind of nurtured by this yeah, Goyem. This, you know, <laughs> who's still operating under the um kind of permission of the rabbi, but still everybody knows he is um Goyim, he's a Gentile. Um, I, I, we've, we've also had some conversations about what exactly is Asher's affliction. And I think that it's really interesting that the affliction of his childhood is beginning to go away now. And I read that as, um, that his main affliction was that he was born with a gift unrecognized by his community. And now that gift is being rewarded, albeit by a, an alien to him community. And so I'm not saying anything new, but I just wanted to kind of go back to the question of what was his illness and say, I think it was, he was caught between these tectonic plates Hmm. between like his own internal gift and, the external community that surrounded him, loved him, nurtured him. Well, and to Heidi's point, the Rebbe is recognizing it yeah. too, because he puts him, yeah. in, he gets him under the tutelage of Jacob Kahn. And he seems to believe that there is some kind of value in it that, that the other people in his community can't recognize. They can't get yeah. there. They don't understand why the Rebbe, would do what he's doing, but he seems to have, but they trust that he has some sort of vision. Yeah. Heidi, what about you? Yeah. I mean, to me, that was always a bit of a tangential question, but I think that it, it's, to me, it's absolutely clear that a gift <clears throat> is always a gift, right? Mm. It can be used, it can be used inc- incorrectly and it can be corrupted and it can be attacked. Um, uh, and it could be lost and distorted, mm. but, it is intended for good. Um, Anything I, else that you feel like needs that, to get said? That I just think, David, I'm glad you brought up the, the um, kind of disintegration of their family culture in these years that there's, there was this like tenderness and love between um, Asher and his father in his young years, but there's, there's an increasing distance between them that's Mm -hmm. um, reflected obviously in the physical distance between them, but also there's more and more of a breakdown of their relationship that corresponds with the uh, building of the relationship with Jacob. And so there becomes these two competing father figures. And then for his mother to leave, creates yet another layer of impossible choice. Mm. It's like a Greek tragedy, right? Like everyone's always having to make impossible choices. How do you choose between your husband and your son? Because they're both like so unable or unwilling to love each other and sacrifice for each other, both of them. And, and she is, she's the one between those tectonic plates Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, in that situation. mm -hmm. Actually, all three of them are, but, but that, and, um, so I, I, but the impact on the whole family to be separated is, is, is very evident in this section, the growing distance. And it's sad. Hey, so. The schedule has us doing 10, 11, 12 for the next episode and then 13 to the end, 13 and 14 the next week. Okay. Do you want to keep that and bump everything back a week or do you want to just combine those since we missed a week and just read to the end for the next episode? Uh, and then that would either keep us one's on fine schedule. with me because I already read to the end because I couldn't put it down. <laughs> I would vote for doing reading it all 
Reading till okay. the end. Okay. So, and we're getting into the holidays. I think many you know, of our, re- are, I think yeah. many of our listeners have had the same experience. Like, I can't wait. I got to get Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to so, get okay. forward. So then for next week's episode, we'll finish. We're going to discuss Great. the whole book. So we're going to finish reading it. Then we'll do the Q&A episode. And then the episode for the 19th of December will be, well, sorry, that will be the Q&A. And then on the 26th of December, we will air an episode that is our, our year-end reading. So what, we're going to record something between now and then where we talk about all the all of our favorite books of 2022. One of our most popular episodes every year. Mm-hmm. It's a fun one. So uh, make your list, everybody. Sounds Especially good. you, Tim and Heidi. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, uh, anything else? Anything else you want to add? Nope. Okay. Tim? Nothing else. All right. Well, for Tim McIntosh and for Heidi White, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Happy reading. Mm-hmm.